The House and Senate are both back from recess. The Senate comes back today. They'll be in session through Thursday. The House will come back tomorrow, Tuesday, and stay in session through Friday. This week, the House will come back tomorrow with first votes set for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to consider no fewer than 14 bills under suspension of the rules. On Wednesday, the House will consider another 14 bills under suspension. On Thursday and Friday, the House will consider H.R. 350, the Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act of 2022, and S-3522, the Ukraine Democracy Defense Lend-Lease Act of 2022. That bill passed the Senate by a vote of 100 to nothing before they broke for their Easter recess. This week in the Senate, they'll come back today with the first vote set for 5.30 p.m., at that time, the Senate will proceed to a roll call vote on cloture on the nomination of Lael Brainerd to be vice chairman of the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System for a term of four years. Then, based on the majority leader's cloture filings, I expect the Senate to vote on the nominations of Lisa Donnell Cook to be a member of the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System for the unexpired term of 14 years that began on February 1, 2010. You can do the math and Alvaro M. Bedoya to be a federal trade commissioner for the term of seven years that began on September 26, 2019. And if the Senate can come to agreement over COVID funding, aid to Ukraine, and whether or not to allow a vote on whether or not to rescind Title 42, there may be a vote on a COVID Ukraine funding package. Now to inflation. On Tuesday, April 12th, that is almost two weeks ago, the Bureau of Labor Statistics at the Labor Department released the monthly inflation numbers for March, showed that the consumer price index last month rose at the fastest annual rate since December 1981, up 8.5% from the same month a year ago. Just one month earlier, the CPI had been up 7.9% over a year earlier, so it appears inflation is not just increasing, but accelerating. In response, the Federal Reserve has finally begun raising interest rates. The Fed has penciled in seven interest rate hikes to take place by the end of the year in an attempt to get inflation back under control, down to its 2% target rate. More on COVID mandates. On Wednesday, April 13th, the CDC announced it would extend for two weeks beyond its scheduled expiration date until May 3rd, the federal public transportation mask mandate. Less than a week later, on Monday, April 18th, that is in fact one week ago, federal district judge Catherine Kimball Mazell, a Trump appointee, struck down the mandate on two grounds. She wrote first that the CDC had no statutory authority to impose the mask mandate on travelers in the first place. And second, that even if the CDC had, the CDC had failed to follow the strictures of the Administrative Procedures Act. Shortly after the release of the judge's ruling, the Biden administration announced it would not enforce the mandate while it weighed the decision of whether or not to appeal the ruling. Asked on Tuesday whether or not passengers should continue to wear a mask, President Biden said, quote, it's up to them. It took the Biden administration two days to decide to appeal the ruling. On Wednesday, April 20, the Department of Justice filed notice of its plans to file an appeal on Judge Mazel's ruling. The appeal will be heard by the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, which hears cases from Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. President Trump appointed a majority of the judges on that circuit court. The Biden administration did not ask either Judge Mazel or the 11th Circuit to stay Judge Mazel's order while the appeal is being litigated, and the Transportation Security Agency is no longer enforcing the mandate. So unless and until we hear otherwise, 
The federal public transportation mask mandate is no more. Now to COVID funding. Before the Senate took its two-week Easter recess, Majority Leader Schumer tried to pass a $10 billion COVID funding supplemental. It was blocked by Republicans who wanted a chance to vote on an amendment blocking the Biden administration's decision to rescind the use of Title 42, the public health authority that's been used as a means of immigration control. Now that the House and Senate are coming back from their Easter recess, they're going to try again to get a COVID funding bill through both chambers. There's no reason to believe that Republicans are any less likely to want to attach a Title 42 amendment than they were before the break. And there's every reason to believe Democrats are becoming even more wary of the negative political effects of that decision to rescind the use of Title 42. So Senator Schumer is going to have his hands full trying to figure out a way to do this. One thing that's been raised is a possibility of tying more Ukraine funding to the effort. The thinking there is that Republicans who want to see stronger funding for Ukraine would go ahead and vote for the bill no matter what else is in the bill. Even if it's COVID funding, they're not sure we need. This may become a showdown, so keep your eyes peeled. Now, more on illegal immigration. On Wednesday, April 13, the first bus carrying migrants from Texas rolled into Washington, D.C. and came to a stop at the curb next to the Hall of States building at 400 North Capitol Street about two blocks from Union Station and two blocks in the other direction from the U.S. Capitol. The address is significant. The Hall of States building hosts, among others, the studios for Fox News Washington Bureau. So the camera guys literally didn't even have to walk to the elevator and go outside to get the B-roll the anchors needed to illustrate the story they were about to read about Texas Governor Greg Abbott giving a taste of the border security problem to policymakers in Washington, D.C. by sending busloads of migrants directly to the District of Columbia. For those who are curious, before boarding the bus, migrants were required to volunteer to take the bus to D.C., and they had to sign waivers. They were not in federal, state, or local custody at all during the trip to D.C. Elsewhere on the illegal immigration front, migrant attempts to cross the border hit their highest level in two decades in March, when immigration authorities made 221,303 stops of migrants attempting to cross the border. That represents a 33% increase from just one month earlier. Customs and Border Patrol officials said the number of unique individuals attempting to cross the border nationwide in March came to 159,900, representing a 37% increase from the prior month. Since October of last year, U.S. border authorities have made more than a million arrests. That's the fastest pace of illegal border crossings in at least 20 years. And on the Title 42 front, on Tuesday, April 19th, Axios reported that the Biden White House is considering delaying its decision to rescind the use of the Title 42 Public Health Authority as of May 23rd. All over the country, Democrat candidates are trying to distance themselves from Biden's decision. Nine Senate Democrats, including Gary Peters of Michigan, who happens to be the chairman of the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, have publicly urged Biden to reverse his decision to end the use of Title 42 in May. But there are progressive Democrats who are unhappy that the Biden administration didn't rescind the use of Title 42 within months of taking office. So he's getting flack from both sides. Biden will be meeting with representatives of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus today, and they'll be letting him know that an important part of his party's base is upset that Title 42 is still being used.
Jenny Beth wrote about vulnerable Democrats claiming to be demanding that Biden reverse himself in one of her recent columns. Her solution was simple. If they're really serious, they can prove it by blocking the confirmation of Biden appointees until Biden relents and reverses himself. Otherwise, it's all just talk. You can find that op-ed in the suggested reading this week. Now, finally, the update on Russia and Ukraine. On Tuesday, April 12, President Biden once again shot from the lip, getting ahead of his own State Department by accusing Russian dictator Vladimir Putin of committing what he called genocide in Ukraine. Speaking in Iowa about inflation, Biden said, quote, your family budget, your ability to fill up your tank, none of it should hinge on whether a dictator declares war and commits genocide half a world away, end quote. Asked later if he had meant to drop such a grave accusation and such a cavalier aside, Biden affirmed it. It's become clearer and clearer, he said, that Putin is just trying to wipe out the idea of being Ukrainian. The evidence is mounting, end quote. Elsewhere, speaking on Thursday, April 14, the Gerald R. Ford School of Public Policy at the University of Michigan, Delaware Democrat Senator Chris Coons, a member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee known to be a close friend and ally of President Biden, spoke in very grave terms about Russia's threat to the West. Quote, we are in a very dangerous moment where it is important that on a bipartisan and measured way that we in the Congress and the administration come to a common position about when we are willing to go to the next step and send not just arms but troops to the aid in defense of Ukraine. If the answer is never, then we are inviting another level of escalation in brutality by Putin. What is happening here is being watched by other autocrats around the world, from the DPRK, that's North Korea, and Iran, to obviously the PRC and Xi Jinping's leadership of the Chinese Communist Party. I think the 21st century is going to be, is going to be written in the next few weeks or months in how fiercely we are willing to defend freedom in Ukraine, end quote. Congress was in recess. Not a lot of people were aware of his comments, but some eagle-eyed booker at CBS News saw the remarks and invited Coons to appear that Sunday on Sunday's edition of Face the Nation. Host Margaret Sullivan followed up with Coons, who said, quote, this is a critical moment. If Vladimir Putin, who has shown us how brutal he can be, is allowed to just continue to massacre civilians, to commit war crimes throughout Ukraine without NATO, without the West coming more forcefully to its aid, I deeply worry that what's going to happen next is that we will see Ukraine turn into Syria, he said. I think the history of the 21st century turns on how fiercely we defend freedom in, UK, in Ukraine and that Putin will only stop when we stop him, end quote. Meanwhile, the administration is getting ready to send up to the Hill another request for aid to Ukraine, and this time it's going to expand the list of weapon systems that will be made available to Ukrainian forces. The new aid package could be worth $800 million and will reportedly include MI-17 helicopters, 155 millimeter howitzer artillery cannon, 40,000 rounds of artillery, coastal defense drones, and protective suits to safeguard warriors in the event of a chemical or a biological or nuclear attack. This morning's news has an important update. Yesterday, Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin made what was supposed to be, but was ultimately revealed, a secret trip to Kyiv, where they met for three hours with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. While there, they pledged more U.S. support for Ukraine, and Blinken committed to joining other Western nations in reopening U.S. diplomatic services in Ukraine. 
Blinken said the U.S. Embassy in Kyiv would reopen within a matter of a few weeks. That's our Washington Report for this week. 